Welcome, Redemption Arcadia. Let's go ahead and stand up.
a time of confession. Um, we recognize that God is holy and we are sinners. Um, and this next song, we actually wrote a little blog post about it um, and put it up on the website yesterday. Um, but we wanted to talk about the lyrics that we're singing in the bridge. Um, the lyric is, shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion, your way is better. Um, and we wanted to clarify what we are and aren't singing. We're not saying that all tradition is bad. We're not saying that religion is bad by any means. Um, but we're leaning into the truth of Jesus and him crucified and that's it. Um, and a lot of times we preach this gospel to ourselves of Jesus and we see it all throughout the Bible with the Pharisees um, that it's Jesus and the cross and um, but we know from Frank and from reading that that's not the case that it's Jesus and him alone and that his way is the right way and his way is the only way so when we sing those words we're just talking about the ways that we bring ourselves into it um, the lyric is my tradition for a reason it's not that all tradition is bad but the ways that I add to it the things that I bring to it um, that compete for that spot on the throne. That's what we're singing against. Um, so as we sing this song today, um, I want us to think about those things, whatever it is in our life that um, compete for the throne, that we bring to the table when we worship, that we bring to the foot of the cross and try to take with us. Um, and what we're doing here is confessing those things and recognizing that it's just Jesus, that his way is better, that his way is the only way. And there's hope and there's so much peace to be found in that message that it's just Jesus. Um, we don't have to add to it. We don't subtract from it. It's just Jesus. So let's sing this song together this morning.
Jesus. We seek nothing but the name of Jesus. Our hope is only in Jesus. We declare that with this song. Jesus, we just thank you for today. Lord, we thank you we have the space to come here and worship you. God, we thank you for our leaders here in worship and for them guiding us and pointing us to you, Lord. I pray that you speak through Tyler, Lord. I pray that you are glorified here today. Um, and we're just grateful again that we can come here and, and be your body each and every week. And so we love you, Jesus, and we ask these prayers in your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Redemption Church Arcadia. Before we get started, fourth and sixth graders, get the heck on out of here. You all are dismissed. Head on to the back. Emmy's back there. She'll take you to go out for the group discussions. Um, before you guys sit, I want you all to just, as comfortable as you are, as comfortable as you feel, we're going to greet each other. We're going to say good morning. We are going to welcome one another uh, here today. So say hi, take some time, get to know someone new here this morning. I work at a coffee shop and I love that buzz. It was one of the things that I missed when COVID happened was the buzz of conversation in a coffee shop. I even saw some cross aisle. Uh, we call that cross aisle fraternation. Um, so no, no penalties here today, but 
Uh, I'm so glad that you all are here uh, this morning. Welcome to Redemption Church Arcadia. My name is Zach. I am the youth ministries intern. Uh, I get to hang out with all of the youth um, kids uh, with Trey each and every week. We just get to love on them, talk about Jesus, play basketball every week. Uh, a couple of them are in here and they always beat us and bump out. So uh, you guys rock. Um, cool. Um, just like as a local expression of the gospel or of the family of God, we are seeking to embody the gospel in all of the Arcadia area. We are 10 congregations in Arizona. We are gospel-centered and outward-focused, and we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And so we just have a couple of announcements today, and I do mean a couple, so two. Um, The first one is, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, rewind back to like the beginning of March, uh, we had a, an opportunity to love on our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated right now. Through a partnership with Alongside Ministries, we got to write notes of encouragement to, to those coming out of incarceration through Alongside and partnering with them. Um, we sent over 100 cards to them, which is just awesome. Um, and those were received by 15 different men and women. And they just wanted to um, say that it was super impactful. They were encouraged to know that their brothers and sisters in Christ were praying with them and for them through this transition, huge transition in their life. Uh, They actually have some pictures, some photos of them receiving those cards. And it's just an awesome awesome thing that you guys did. I majored in criminal justice uh, with an emphasis in my in corrections for my undergrad and it was very research heavy and just the the isolation that one experiences when incarcerated um, is huge and and it, so it's encouraging to know that they know people are thinking about them and praying for them. And so if you are passionate about that, uh, Frank is super passionate about it. There's others here who are passionate about it. If you want to help out more with alongside and are interested in helping out in that ministry. They need Bible study leaders. They need people to come in and open up the word and and teach what God says about all his people. And they're included in that as well. And so if you're interested in that, uh, talk to Andrea in the back or fill out a connect card and we will reach out to you um, for that opportunity. The second announcement is about membership and not gym membership, church membership. Um, I know all the gyms reopened recently, uh, so I I know that's a good thing. Um, We are going to be hosting, we normally used to do it kind of informal throughout COVID. We're going to actually have two formal um, occasions where if you are interested in entering into uh, a covenant relationship with the pastors and the elders of this church um, to submit to their authority, allow them to speak into your life, and allow you to be held to the, the, the commitment that Jesus calls us to in his word. Um, we're going to be having a class led by Trey, and I didn't tell the last services, but Frank is also going to be there too. So Trey and Frank are going to be leading this, uh, this um, membership class in two Wednesdays from now. So not this upcoming Wednesday, but the first two Wednesdays in June. That's June 2nd and June 9th. 9th. Oh, sorry. And I could tell by the, the wisps of paper, you're all pulling out your planners to write that in right now. Um, June 2nd and June 9th. So if you're interested in becoming a member of Redemption Church Arcadia, um, definitely put that on the calendar. If you come next week, next week is not June 2nd. No one will be here. Um, other than that, oh, last thing, if I will, I will actually get yelled at if I don't say this. You must RSVP for this event. Um, and bonus option, 
there will be childcare too. So if you're looking to become a member and you don't think your kid's quite there yet, we will watch your kid while you become a member. Um, <laughs> um, perfect. I'm going to invite Jason up and he is going to read the word for us. All right. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the reading of the Lord's word. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Jason and Zach and worship team. Appreciate all of you. Uh, my name is Tyler Thompson. I'm one of the pastors here. And so thank you for being here with us today or for catching us online. We really appreciate you. Uh, a couple of just housekeeping items before we get into the word. The first is Pastor Frank is uh, preaching at Redemption Flagstaff this morning. So pray for him as he preaches there. And he will be back uh, in town with us this week and uh, then preaching next Sunday. Uh, so pray for him today in Flagstaff. And the second thing is, uh, we appreciate that you have uh, walked with us through the various phases of our regathering. Uh, if you remember at the beginning, we said that this would be a, a phased approach to, to gathering again together. And we have done that, and so appreciate your prayers and your participation in that as we have. Uh, many of you, you received an email this week that said uh, that the pastors and the elders at this time have decided uh, to update our mask policy by going mask optional at this time for those that are at, at the church. And so we want to let you know uh, that whether you choose to wear a mask or whether you choose not to wear a mask, we're glad that you're here with us and we look forward to worshiping with you in the coming weeks. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll get into the word. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to study your word together. Thank you that it is living and active and that by your spirit uh, you speak to us through it. Uh, even today, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you would have to say to us. That you'd be glorified in us, your church. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. A few years back, Liz and I were living in Santa Barbara, California. Well, not exactly Santa Barbara. We were in a city right next to Santa Barbara, and it was called Goleta. And we were living, um, anybody know where Goleta is? None of you. We were, a couple of you, that's good. It's sort of almost Santa Barbara, which we were pretty excited about. And we were living in this little apartment, a two-bedroom apartment, and they actually, the street that we lived on, they called it Felony Flats. The, the police officers called it Felony Flats. So we weren't ex really excited about that, but we were excited that we were living in almost Santa Barbara and that we could walk to the beach from where we lived. Uh, and we had a two-bedroom uh, two apartment, and it was a dual uh, story. And so up on the top story, outside of the window, there was a balcony. You could walk out to the balcony and enjoy the Santa Barbara weather and all of that. 
And I decided that I was going to try my hand at uh, gardening. And so I started a, gar a little garden on the balcony. And, and apparently, I didn't know this at the time, but anything will grow in Santa Barbara or almost Santa Barbara. And so you put, uh, you put some seeds in there. And you put some seeds in. So we did, we did tomatoes. We did chives. Uh, we did like radishes, uh, arugula. And um, like instantaneously, it felt like everything just sprung up. And I'm like eating food from my garden. And I thought that I was the greatest botanist on Felony Flats. Uh, and, and maybe almost Santa Barbara also. Um, and so I kept on planting. And there's, there's bugs coming in to eat the food. And so I planted marigolds. Because I heard that if you plant marigolds, the marigolds actually will, will uh, put off the, uh, the bugs or the spiders that come to eat. So in planting marigolds, I also loved that because even when the marigolds died, they produced all of these seeds that then you could replant and then you just have all of these wonderful flowers. Uh, when we moved to Arizona, I actually thought, okay, I'm getting pretty good at this. I'm going to actually try this here in Arizona too, which is like not Santa Barbara at all. And so I planted some things in my backyard, and I couldn't get anything to, to produce any kind of fruit at all. And then I thought, well, I'll at least try marigolds. So I got some marigold seeds, and I planted the marigold seeds, and even the marigolds died, and I couldn't get them to grow. So fast forward a year. I've been here just a little bit uh, over a year now, about a year and four months. And um, uh, no marigolds throughout the whole year. This spring, as spring is it's starting to get warm again, I look at the ground in the backyard and I see little marigolds coming up that had been dead all year long. And all of a sudden they're there. And I was like, I'm back. <laughs> I am the greatest botanist around Cactus and Tatum. If any of you live around there, I'm the best. I'm the best botanist in that area. You can come see my marigolds. And so I actually, I actually brought one of my marigolds here today. Now, I intentionally chose a sort of dying marigold. So don't judge my botany skills on this marigold. Um, I love that with this marigold, you can actually um, see that there's, and maybe you can't, but if you're close, um, when a little flower dies, you actually, what will happen is they'll fall over and the seed will, will spill and then it'll get buried and then eventually it'll, it'll grow again, even a year later. So I love that you can, you can actually pull out these seeds and you've got all of these little marigold seeds. Um, and I, I just am fascinated by that process. And, and one of the things that I, that I see in this scripture today is that Jesus is going to use the example of, of how this happens in nature with wheat. And that God has, it's not only an analogy that Jesus brings up, but that God has actually instilled in his creation. Um, we, we read from in Colossians that all things were made through Jesus and by Jesus and for Jesus. That God has instilled in creation this, this process of death and burial and new life. And it's all around us in ways that God is going to eventually call us into uh, living a life that actually uh, models this after what he has shown us in his, in his example. So you can open your Bibles. Um, we're at John 12. We've been going through the Gospel of John. Uh, next week, actually, we have another uh, message in John. And then we're taking a break in the summer that we'll be preaching through Nehemiah um, in starting in two weeks. So John chapter 12. Now, I was told in seminary that uh, if you can't say what the sermon is in one sentence then you don't actually know what the sermon is. 
And sometimes I forget that and I have to remind myself and if I, don't, if I don't remind myself to do that, then I end up talking about all kinds of crazy things like jean jackets and Denny's and things like that. So I'm gonna remind myself today and I'm gonna say it to you. This is what this sentence, uh, this sermon is about in one sentence. Jesus denied himself for the sake of the church and he calls the church to deny themselves for the sake of the world. So I'll say it again, and that way, if that's, that's the only thing you bring from today, you've got the one sentence. Jesus denied himself for the sake of the church, and he calls the church to deny themselves for the sake of the world. And I love how we see that playing out in this passage. Uh, our passage is John 12, verse 20 to 26. Um, but I'm actually going to start us in 19 because this is where we laid off uh, la- last week. We, we, we left off here last week in 19. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And the reason I want to start with this verse is because it provides a nice bridge between where we were last week and where we're going this week with the text. The Pharisees in the triumphal entry and et cetera have seen that Jesus is riding in. He's even only on a donkey, but the whole world is going after him. And they actually say to one another, you're gaining nothing. Which leads me to ask, what were the Pharisees hoping to gain? And by logic, I want to conclude that they were hoping to gain the world. Because they say, look, you you are gaining nothing. See, the world has gone after him. Which means what what the Pharisees were trying to gain was the world, and they see that the world is going after Jesus. That led me to consider for myself, what is it that I am trying to gain in this life? And I didn't really like some of the answers that were coming to my mind when I asked myself that question. Because too often there are things that I am trying to gain in this world that actually will turn out to be worthless in the grand scheme of things. So the Pharisees are pointing this out, that the world has gone after him. And it's fitting that they say the world because the door is being opened now from the Jews who are following Jesus to this diverse crowd who was at the feast for his triumphal entry. And now John's going to make a point of saying that there were Greeks who came to follow Jesus at that point as well. So verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. That term doesn't necessarily mean people from Greece, but was meaning non-Jews or people that were Gentiles. There were those who came to Jesus now that were not uh, typically followers of this kind of teaching or those that would have been coming to the feast as Jews. It was not uncommon for people from uh, Gentiles to come to the feast. They were sort of converted believers. And they would come to the, to the feast and they would participate in the same way. That was what was happening here as Jesus has come in for the feast as well. Uh, D.A. Carson says it this way, that the Gentiles represent the change in the moment. The hour has come. It has been that the hour is in the future, but now is the pivot where the hour has come. Uh, Jesus knows exactly uh, when the hour is for him to uh, go to his death. And there's, throughout the book of John, he's been saying things like, my hour is not yet, it's not my time. He said to, in John 2, he says this to his mother at the wedding in Cana, it's not yet my time. But Jesus knows that the hour has now come, and the presence of the Gentiles, non-Jews, 
in this scene pivots our, our attention to the fact that the whole world will have opportunity to come after this Jesus. So Jesus is opening up the door to the whole world. And he's, he's been looking to do this when the time was right. We remember back from the Abrahamic covenant that God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, through your seed, uh, many nations will be blessed. And we find that God's intention is to bless the nations through this Jesus. So in verse 21, these came to Philip, that these are some Greeks, came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So a few things here that are interesting. One is the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the Greeks who came to see Jesus, they identify in the crowd that are following Jesus at this point, they identify Philip as someone that they can approach in order to say we want to see Jesus. Uh, it is commonly held that Philip is, is a, a, a Greek name or a, or a, or a non-Jewish name, that, that Philip um, would have been actually culturally maybe a little bit more accessible for those who were coming. And so they come to Philip. Somebody pointed out at the uh, preaching collective that we oftentimes do that ourselves that when we see a group of people that maybe we don't know if we're accepted in or not, that we will find somebody in the crowd that we feel comfortable with or that we know, and that we'll approach them first, hoping that that will be a sort of in. And we've been doing that since like we're in grade school when we're passing notes to each other and tell Susie that I like her and ask Susie if she likes me. We've been doing that ever since, although it seems a little more sophisticated now that we tend to resonate best with those who we feel comfortable with, and that happens here as well. Uh, Pastor Frank is preaching this sermon in Flagstaff, so if you want to later on, go and look up his sermon online, and he'll, you'll get another take on this passage. But I do want to include a couple of notes that, that I know that he's going to be talking about, and one of them is here. Uh, he relates this to sort of like the mafia. Go figure, Frank talks about the mafia here and there, right? He's saying that there's nothing new under the sun, and sometimes if you want to go see the boss, you got to actually go to the people out front first and, and see if you can make your way into the boss. That's sort of what happens here, where it says, these came, from Philip, came to Philip and said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. That phrase, see, we wish to see Jesus, is something that we want for each one of us that would follow Christ. Uh, Job said it this way, I had heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you. And the hope is that we will be a people who long to see Jesus. That is, after all, part of the point of what John is trying to do in his gospel, is trying to help us to see and believe that he is the Son of God. And so there's this, the word of flesh that came and dwelt with us. We want to be a people who see Jesus and long to see him. Of course, we can do that through the scriptures. We can do that by the power of the Spirit. And one day we will see him face to face. I long for that day. So verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew. The Greeks come to Philip. Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Some folks then take this to see that it's possible 
that Philip and Andrew went and spoke to Jesus on behalf of the Greeks, and the Greeks did not come with to speak to Jesus. In other words, that there was still this barrier here. Other scholars <clears throat> believe that the Greeks tell Philip, Philip tells Andrew, and then all of them go to see Jesus together. I tend to lean that way in part because of how Jesus responds to the Greeks. Sometimes when Jesus is responding primarily to religious people or even to the disciples, you can hear in his tone that he's dismantling their religion, sort of like we sang just a little bit ago. And I appreciated Malia helping us to understand why we would sing a line like that. That sometimes our own religion, the, the things that we put on top of the gospel, needs to be dismantled by Jesus. But here, Jesus is actually talking to them as though one is opening the door so that they can understand more fully what he's about and what he's doing. So verse 23, Jesus answered. He answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this blows my mind because when I think about being glorified, I tend to think about getting money, getting stuff, getting power, getting position, succeeding in sports, succeeding in performance, being in front of people. I tend to think about being glorified in those terms. But Jesus is saying that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what he's referring to here, as we've said before, is that that glorifying of Jesus is the events leading up to his trial, his execution, his, his crucifix, crucifixion, his death, burial, resurrection. That this is, this is the most glorifying moment of Jesus' ministry, is going to his death. And that alone is enough to blow my mind in terms of what I think about what glory is. That Jesus found glory in laying his life down and showing this example of love that he gave his life for those who would believe. So he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he's going to give us this image that I think is helpful for us in terms of how to understand what he's talking about. Verse 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now remember when he says truly, truly, when he repeats those words truly, truly, that was a phrase indicating that this is worth listening to because it's truth. This is something that should catch your ear and your eye as you're reading, as you see it, or as it's heard. This is something that you should pay attention to because it is definitely true. And he says truly, truly. One thing about that, when we're talking about truth, and then he goes into using a metaphor, sometimes our, our minds tend to think that the the, the parables of Jesus and the metaphors of Jesus are somehow less true than the other things that he said because they're stories. But Jesus is indicating that there's truth in this parable. There's truth in this metaphor. And as we said before, he's not actually just using a me metaphor. He's saying this is something that you can see in the world that I've created where this pattern of death and burial and resurrection, death, burial, and new life takes place over and over all around us. And so he draws their attention to the grain of wheat, and he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Two things that I think are happening there. One is he's drawing their attention to saying, and they didn't understand this until later, 
but that unless the Son of Man goes to his death on the cross, there is no other way for salvation and new life. That there is, and he'll say, he said this already, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. No, he said, I'm, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What he's saying here is something similar to this, saying unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. He is saying this is the only way for the salvation of those who will believe. Secondly, and this is a little bit more haunting, he is also paralleling this for the church, saying that unless you are a kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies, you will remain alone and you will not bear fruit. Now that is a little bit more daunting because we think about that and we think that in order to follow Christ, I must die. I think that the, the, somebody in the preaching collective pointed this out, that the cost of following Jesus has gotten more and more expensive as the book of John has gone along. That earlier in the book of John, in, in John chapter 3, he talks about to be a part of the kingdom of God that you must be born again, which I'm all about. That's great. It sounds good to be born again. But here he's drawing people to understand that if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must die. I don't like that message as much. I don't know how that, that hits you. But Jesus is saying that you must die in order to bear fruit. He also mentions here that Unless you die, you will remain alone. But if you die, then you'll bear much fruit. And I think to myself, it's so brilliant what Jesus is doing because as soon as the, as soon as the, the kernel dies, there's all kinds of chance for multiplication. And, and all of a sudden, you're not alone anymore. I love that God calls us not as individuals into individual lives with him, but that God sets us apart into a family into a community. Pastor Frank, the way that he says this, is he says, selfishness leads to loneliness. In other words, if we're unwilling to die to self, if we allow for selfishness to gain hold in our lives, that is something that leads to loneliness in our lives. I don't know if any of you have ever been around somebody who is completely self-absorbed, or if any of you have ever been completely self-absorbed, it's oftentimes not fun to be around. In the, in the uh, field of opera, we call those divas. Nobody wants to be a diva. Guys can be divas too. That we actually see this in practice sometimes. People who it's, it's so, so much about ourselves that it's just not fun to be around. And I've experienced that, and I've been that. And there's a reminder here that if, if we're going to be selfish to where we won't actually deny ourselves, that that leads to loneliness. But God has called us into a life of community. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that story that we're in, that story that we've been called into a life like this. It's, it's part of why on Sundays, as we gather Sunday after Sunday, we go through this liturgy where we have that God is holy, that we are sinful and broken, that Jesus saves the church, and that Jesus sends the church. Because sometimes we need that reminder of the story that we're in. 
that here God has this part for us as we walk through the story that he has. One other note on multiplying, if you're alone, if you don't die, you're alone, and if you die, then you have much fruit. One other note here is that apparently two bushels of seed bears about 40 to 50 bushels of wheat. Just amazing multiplication. And that we want to be a church that is taking God's call seriously to deny ourselves as he denied himself so that he might be multiplied in our lives. Amen? The weed is not only an, an illustration, but God uses it as, a, as, as how this has been embodied in the very creation in which we live. And then he goes further in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's other versions of this in the Synoptic Gospels as well about how Jesus has said this. But the idea is that we, if we love our life, it'll be something that just slips through our fingers. If we try to hold on to our life, it'll be something that will ultimately be lost. Uh, Neil Pitchell was with our men this Wednesday for a men's lunch, and he was speaking out of the book of Haggai and priorities. And one of the things that he says in the opening, chapters of, uh, the opening, opening chapter of Haggai is that it's basically that we're trying to fill our pockets that have holes in them. That because we've put our priorities in front of the priorities of God and we've been trying to stuff our own pockets, that God himself will cause or allow for there to be holes in our pockets. So that as we continue to strive to try to put things in there, that it'll just be like falling out the other side. That's the image here that's with the whoever loses his, loves his life loses it. It's like the more that we try to hold on to it, the more that it just slips right through. And then he says, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That language there, hates, is hard for us because we can't imagine hate being something that is appropriate. But that, that language, hate, is not saying that God intends for us not to enjoy our life or live our life well or participate in the things that we do in this world. But rather, it's the idea that apart from God, we find our life to be unacceptable. And so com in comparison to this God and the things that he has for us, that we hate the things of this world. There's similar language that's used in Matthew 10 when Jesus is talking about hating your, your father or your mother or your brother. The idea there is not that we would go around hating our family members, but that we would understand that there is only one heavenly father and that our brothers and sisters and mothers are those who do the will of the father. So that God calls us to this family where we are in a culture of denying ourselves because he has denied his self for us. And so this following Jesus becomes more costly. But bear in mind that we will receive from the Lord the fruit of the labor. That's why he starts to talk here about keeping it for eternal life. That what we receive from the Lord is not only this life, but eternal life in return. And while we are not a prosperity gospel church, 
We are a church that understands that the things that God gives us in return are of far greater value than anything that we could have ever given up. In verse 26, he says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I appreciate this because who is anyone? Anyone. Any kind of person can come to the Lord. And while not everybody will come to the Lord, as I said last week in Isaiah 9, that he has longed to gather us like a mother gathers the hens, but you would not come. While not everybody will come to the Lord, any kind of person can come to the Lord and can serve him and follow him. There's the word must. You mean I must do something if I come to Jesus? According to Jesus, yes. If I am going to serve the Lord, I must follow the Lord. And then where God is, so I will be. This is part of what God calls us to is is an other-oriented life where we think first about what God wants for our lives and we think second about what our neighbor would benefit from and then at some point we get around to what would I like. I can tell you that one of the best ways that God has taught me in my life regarding this kind of a thing is in a marriage with my wife. Where consistently the Lord is using the marriage to help me to understand that it's not about me. And that he calls me to a life that is an other-oriented kind of life. And he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So there's something coming back on the other side of this. Uh, Trevin Wax has written a book. His book is called Counterfeit Gospels. And I actually just printed up a a chart in the back. It's at the connection table that you're welcome to pick up a copy of it if you like. He surveyed a bunch of pastors and he said, hey, what is is one of the most uh, prominent kinds of counterfeit gospels that you are facing today? And out of the survey, he came up with six that most pastors are seeing in their communities. And he called them these, these six. One was therapeutic, gospels that tend to say that it's all about me and how I feel and making me feel better. Second, he said, judgmentless. Gospel that is preached that says that maybe there's no judgment in the end and the, the, there's, maybe there's no actual separation from God in the end. Uh, moralistic, God, the gospel that said it's all about the good things that we do. Quietist, which would say that We don't actually need to participate with the world. We'll just wash our hands and we'll step back here and watch what the world has to do. Activist, which says, no, there must be causes in the world that I join myself to. Churchless, the gospel that says that God can, can work without the church, and he can, but he calls us to a life in the community of the church. Each of these counterfeit gospels tends to tell a story with an announcement and a community in a way that is somehow twisted from what Jesus presents here in John chapter 12. That at its very core, Jesus came with the good news that he was going to be glorified by going to his death. That he denied himself for the sake of the church and then he calls the church to deny ourselves for the sake of the world. 
And so we are a part of a story and an announcement and a community of Christ that actually costs something. But what we receive is far greater than anything that we could give. So in the gospel that Jesus presents here, I must die to myself. I must lose my life. I must hate my life. I must serve Jesus. And I must follow Jesus. That's the call that Jesus presents to us here in John chapter 12. That in this gospel that he is presenting, we join with him in this pursuit. But in this very same place, in the gospel Jesus presents here, I receive God himself. The the presence of Jesus. Pastor Trey oftentimes wants to remind us that if we get to heaven and it has all the things that that heaven has, uh, what we imagine heaven to be, and God is not there, then it wouldn't be heaven. In fact, it might be hell. That That what the Lord calls us to in heaven is actually that we get the presence of God above anything else. We also receive fruit, or we give fruit, or fruit is bore that we are participating with. We receive the church, brothers and sisters, fathers, mothers, children in Christ, people that we actually are family with for eternity. We receive eternal life, and we receive honor from the Father. We aren't pursuing those things, but these are the things that Jesus is giving. And I'm encouraged by it. In other words, there's a cross to bear but it is worth it. It is worth it. When I was growing up in, in high school, my favorite verse was Philippians 3, 7 through 12-ish. And it says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Uh, what is more, I consider everything lost for the surpa- surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, is what the the NIV says. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. That word rubbish, it's actually uh, skubala in the Greek, which actually means poop. When you have a chance to say poop in church, you just got to do it. And those of us who have babies that are two, you know, we're used to talking about poop. It says, it says, I consider them, I consider it rubbish. I consider it poop. And it's actually stronger than that. It's actually a different four-letter words that means poop. But we didn't want to have that word in our Bible translation. What Paul is saying is that all of these other things that we tend to hold on to in comparison to Jesus, it's It's garbage. It's the, stuff, it's the stuff that gets put in the soil so that the flowers will grow. And we want to hold on to it. We want to hold on to the poop. I just wanted to say it one more time. We want to hold on to it. And what the Bible is calling us to is a life that says none of the rest of that stuff matters. That's the stuff that goes into the soil so that God can produce the fruit that he wants in our lives. I think if we actually viewed things that way, it would change all kinds of our mindsets about all the stuff that we hope to gain in the world. When I got into college, I, my favorite verse was Luke 9, 23, 24, which says, if you're going to be my disciple, then you will deny yourself to take up your cross. 
and you'll follow me. And I loved that too because I thought to myself, daily, you'll take up your cross daily. There's something daily for me to pick up and carry that Jesus has for me. And it might cost me something, but it's going to be worth it. Not only in the end, but in the intermediate time too. In the intermediate time too. That today it's worth it to carry the cross. Not just one day. But sometimes I look back on my high school years and my college years and I think to myself, I was way more convinced about that truth than I am today. And I wonder what part of myself started going after the world in the meantime. Because I believe that passage to be true today, those verses to be true today, just like they were back then. But oftentimes my heart is so sought on things of this world that I'm trying to hold on to. In the preaching collective, uh, one of the pastors from Redemption Tucson, his name is Marcus Doe, he paused for a moment and he said, guys, I think that we actually need to get really specific on this one. Because it's one thing to talk about denying ourselves. It's one thing to talk about dying to self. But each one of us has these little things that we still try to hold on to. And he, and he mentioned, for an example, football. And he said, like, certain Sundays of the year, like, the whole Sunday goes to football. And it's something that is scubula in comparison to Jesus. But we dedicate Sunday after Sunday after And I'm not a football guy. I'm a basketball guy. And I'm, I'm going to go watch basketball with some of you guys later today. But the, the point remains the same. And he, he said this, and I just started to bawl. I just started to cry. Because there are things in my life that I try to hold on to that is garbage. There are things in my relationships that I try to hold on to that is just garbage. There are things with my family, with my friends, my kids, that I try to hold on to that is garbage. But in the moment, can think I can put such value on these things that I lose sight of this truth that Jesus denied himself for the church and that we are called as the church to deny ourselves for the world. And the world starts right here with those of us that are in this room and our family members and our friends and our neighbors and so on. That God calls us to be a self-denying community, not for our sake, but for his sake and others' sake. That his name might be great, that that act of laying himself down in ultimate glorification of Jesus would continue to go throughout the nations. So we want to be a people that are willing to give up the things that we hold on to. I don't know what that is for you, that's between you and the Lord, whether that's something like money or something like success or something like power or something like privilege, that we want to be a people who are consistently recognizing that Jesus denied himself for us and we want to deny ourselves for other people so that his name might be glorified. Amen? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for this example that you've given us in your word and, and in your creation, Lord. And even as I was driving down uh, Scottsdale Road the other day, I saw, I saw more examples of these plants that you've made, Lord, that bear this witness to death, burial, and resurrection.
And so, Lord, thank you for giving us, thank you for giving us, as Paul points out in Romans 1, this evidence from your creation that you are there. That you are creator of the world, that you are savior of the world. And that you've made a way of salvation for us. God, I pray that you would give us a willingness to deny ourselves, that we can't do this on our own, but that you would give us by your spirit a power to be able to deny ourselves and follow with your example. But more importantly, Lord, in this moment, I pray that you would help us as we remember you by taking the bread and the cup, as we take communion together, we would remember you and the life that you lived for us, the fact that you gave your body, you shed your blood, you denied yourself for us. And God, we want to actually participate with you in your suffering. We want to be crucified with Christ so that we might be raised with you. So God, as we take communion, I pray that you would bless the communion elements. I pray that you would bless those who will take communion today. Lord, if there are those in this room that want, need to reach out to you for the first time, I pray that they would do that. God, we praise you that you are the Savior of the world. So help us to give up the world for, for what is really meaningful in you. And we pray that you be glorified even during this time of communion and this time of response. Your spirit would work among us and that you be glorified in us, your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey friends, we're going to respond. Um, I wanted to show you just one more photo. Can you put that photo up there of the uh, agave plant? Yeah. So I was driving down Scottsdale Road the other day and I, and I saw this plant and I thought to myself, hey, right here in the, our backyard, there's just another example of how God has done this. That God all around us is doing this pattern of death and burial and new life. We want to open our eyes to how God's doing that so that we can participate with him in proclaiming his good news. I heard somebody say this week that nobody ever said the Christian life is boring who is sharing the gospel every chance he gets. Because God will just surprise you. And he surprises me. So we're going to take communion at this time. If you, don't have, uh, if you don't have communion yet, the elements, they're in the back. We'd love for you to grab one. This is for those who believe in Jesus Christ, that, that you have uh, been crucified with Christ, that you rise again with Christ. The bread represents his body. The, the cup represents his blood. And it's something that we do until he returns so that we might recall of this power of death and resurrection in our lives. So we'll take that now. We'll sing a, a song or two. There will be people up here that can pray with you if you'd like to um, come and be prayed for. We pray that you'd participate in that way as well. Lord God, be glorified in these things. Amen.
pray with me. Lord Jesus, you uh, displayed perfectly what it is to uh, gain scars that bring life um, and not be ashamed of those on our behalf, but rather call it beautiful. 
Um, Lord, I pray you would preach that to us well. I thank you for the word you brought through Tyler. Um, and Lord, in that message, I just pray in me and in our church family here, Lord, that you'd help us become even more undignified for you and willing to do so with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being here and for worshiping with us this week. Um, I'm going to read the benediction over us. This comes from Hebrews. Now may the God of peace who brought again the dead from, let me start over. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll see you guys next week. Go and live all of life all for Jesus.